The scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's wombs to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted lifted up the snake in the desert so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life this is the word of the lord nicodemus uh it was a member of the jewish ruling council but he goes to jesus at night because he wants to learn. And, and what does he learn? What he learns is what we're about to learn about the gospel. And Jesus says this, that the Christian life is so new, the change is so radical, he calls it the new birth. Why is that change so radical? It's because the gospel heals us of our pride, heals us of our senses, our broken senses, and lastly, heals us of our fatigue our pride, our senses, and our fatigue. First, we're going to look at the gospel healing us of our ego, healing us of our pride. Who's Nicodemus? In verse 1, he's a member of this Jewish ruling council, and so that means he's an older male. And he's part of the ruling council, which means that he's educated. He has a pedigree. He's trained. He's worked very, very hard. Uh, And he's successful. That means he's successful. He's put together well. He's, he's got status and he has wealth. And he, and he was a Pharisee, which means that he has the highest of moral standings. What does that mean? Nicodemus, he doesn't need higher morals. He lived a life of the highest standards. But yet he comes to Jesus. Jesus has no education. Jesus has no pedigree. Jesus has no credentials. He's got no earthly training. And yet Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, he calls him rabbi. He demonstrates a profound humility. Even though Jesus is very unpopular. And so even though he's unpopular, verse 2, he comes to him at night and he says this. He says, let's discuss. I got some questions. Teach me. He's got a very open heart, which is very admirable. And yet Jesus, who is unpopular, uneducated, no status on earth, in verse 3 he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. In other words, I get it. You've arrived in an earthly way. 
but you need to start over. Nothing that you've done here counts. Now that's, I mean, if you're sitting from Nicodemus' standpoint, that's pretty offensive. Think about this. When an average person hears the word, you must be born again, here's a phrase, you must be born again, what do they think of? Usually it's somebody who's had an intense emotional experience, or it's somebody who commits to a higher standard of living, of being a religious person. And that's why we need to hear this. That's why Nicodemus needed to hear this. It's why we need to hear this. Nicodemus, the very nature of Jesus speaking with Nicodemus, it blows both of those views away. Why? Because being, a, being, um, being born again, it cannot just be a call to a higher standard or a greater morality because Nicodemus had the highest moral standing. He had the highest morality. And it also cannot be about an increased emotional uh, high. Why? Because Nicodemus didn't come emotional. There was no emotional language here. Being born again, if anything, it challenges your morality. And it challenges your emotional highs. And it shows us that no matter how good we've been, no matter how put together our lives are, you need to be born again. You must be born again. And the only way you do that is you need to let go of your pride. Nicodemus, highest moral standing, very well regarded, great status, wealthy, still comes to Jesus to learn, to hear. Now we say, but I worked really hard. I deserve this. That will ruin you if that's what you hide behind in order to feel better about yourself. Nicodemus seeks out Jesus. The gospel heals our ego the gospel heals our pride. Now, the second point is it also heals us in terms of our broken senses. In verse 5, Jesus says, you have to be born of water and spirit. What is water? Water is life-giving. Water is cleansing. Water is strengthening. God's spirit is life-giving. God's spirit, he is cleansing. He strengthens. Those two terms tend to be synonymous throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible. And what Jesus is saying is this. If God's spirit is in you, you will have new life no matter your helplessness, no matter your sin. You will have, new, you have cleansing no matter your guilt, no matter your brokenness. You will have strength no matter your weakness, no matter your helplessness. That's very important because most of us tend to think about being born again as uh, like better, uh, being better, uh, behavioral modification, and that's the mistake. That is the chief mistake. Because yes, on one hand, the gospel produces change in our behavior, but it's so much more than that. So much more than that. Jesus says, you need new birth. He says, you don't need new information to improve. You need transformation is what he's saying. Most of us still functionally operate as if, you know, becoming a Christian uh, is to really, uh, is really to grow and to be supplemented in the way that we are, to improve our lives, right? It's as if we are already okay, and, and we believe this in our hearts because when you're criticized by somebody, you say, well, who are you to say that to me? We look down on them, Right? We get very defensive, and we do that all the time. But here, Jesus tells Nicodemus, stop coming to God just to improve your life. Stop coming to me to supplement your life. I want you to come to God for a new life. You need it. And when you do, it will heal your senses. What do I mean by that? Now, we need to step out of this book a little bit for me to explain what, uh, what I mean by that, and then we're going to come right back into the book. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the ancient church in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. And he says essentially this. He says, I want you to stop living like your old self. And then he goes on and he starts to explain what that old self is like. He says, the old self is darkened in its understanding and it's separated from the life of God. In other words, it's like living in a dark room, completely black, pitch black room. You are blind. But why are you blind? He says, we are, we are separated from the life of God. In other words, we are separated from his words, separated from clarity, separated from the wisdom of God, separated from truth, real reality. That comes from living in a well-lit room, well-lit room. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in us. The ignorance that is in them, he says. In other words, we are ignorant. We always say, but I didn't know. I didn't realize. We knew, he says, but we ignored. We saw the warning signs, but we neglected the warning signs. It's like the Titanic that is racing towards this iceberg. And you see the iceberg. And yet something in your heart tells you, you can just keep going. He says, you are in blindness. In other words, you choose to live like this. Uh, Years ago, I counseled a woman who was uh, living in tremendous guilt because for every boyfriend that she had, she had slept with this man or these men, and she wanted to end this cycle. And um, I asked her, well, you knew that with every person that you slept with, the result would be greater guilt. You would go, you would plunge deeper into guilt. Why didn't you stop? Why couldn't you stop? And she says, basically, that once you lose your purity, in her mind, once you lose your purity, you're tainted because you can't get that back. And so it's like, why bother stopping? I mean, my body is already tainted. And your mind and your heart kind of connect in a way where you convince yourself in that moment that, well, I mean, it's already gone. So what's the point of trying to preserve anything at this point? And so my body has really just become a tool. It's become used to get something else that I've wanted. That's what it's like to live in the dark. You are choosing. You see the warning signs and yet you choose to ignore. Paul says, well... We choose to live in this old self. We are dead. We are corroding away because our hearts are hard. Our hearts are hard. Because he says it's the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Our hearts, in other words, even though we say, well, I didn't see that it was going to be like that. I didn't see that I was like that. Why? Because you chose to ignore it. The warning signs are there. People are speaking into you, but your heart is hard. You just chose not to listen. Your heart the Bible says, is a motivational core. It's, it's what directs what you want, what you believe, your worldview. Paul says we choose to live in that old self. We choose to live, uh, we're dead, we are corroding away because our hearts are hard. And as a result, Paul continues on and he says, as a result, we've lost sensitivity. And this is my point. We've lost sensitivity, so we've given ourselves over to every desire. We are ignorant because our hearts are hard. And because our hearts are hard, we've lost sensitivity. Right? 
We've lost sensitivity, and so we're just trying to pursue something, something that's going to make us feel something because we feel dead. We feel numb. Our old self has lost our senses, and so we're craving that feeling. We're craving something that's going to make us feel worthy, make us feel something that's going to that's make us feel good about ourselves. And we pursue, as a result, every desire. And the Apostle Paul finishes that statement with a continual lust for more. Now, we're going to come back in here. What does that mean? Before you become a Christian, you're blind. And you choose to ignore how blind you are, how foolish you've been. Because we have hard hearts. And our hard hearts have caused us to lose sensitivity. It's eradicated our senses. Like, like that woman in that illustration I just shared with you. She said, I've already lost my purity and so I'm numb. I'm practically dead. But new birth means that you have the ability to spend, sense spiritual realities that you've never sensed before. Your heart awakens to a reality that you never saw before. New birth means that now you can see in the darkness. Now you can see your sin. Now you can see the difference between darkness and light. You hear the words of God. Before when you heard the words of God, it didn't taste good to you. It was boring. It was mundane. It's like, I don't know, eating oatmeal every day. But now you're starting to taste the goodness of God. You're starting to sense the goodness of God. You start to know God's presence. He's there with you. You start to see things that you might have known about, but you ignored in the past. God's word, which you ignored, now becomes food for you. You realize that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Before there was just a visible reality, what you saw. That was your only sense. That was the limitation of your senses. It was all you knew. It was all you pursued. And when you had something tangible that made you feel something, you get addicted to it. You pursue that. It's why we're so addicted to things. We're addicted to our careers and our jobs. We're addicted to our work. We hate our work. Being addicted doesn't mean we always love it. We hate our jobs. We hate our careers sometimes. But we need our jobs. We need our careers because of what it does for us. What it gives us. So why we crave the wealth that we have. And we break our backs over even though we hate to do that. And we sacrifice family and relationships and friendships. We sacrifice our health. We sacrifice our time. Time as you get older. It is the most precious commodity that you have. Next to your children and your, and your wife. Your spouse. But it feels good. Because we have hard hearts. And we've lost sensitivity. And all of a sudden, you hear God's word, and it starts to thrill you. It starts to comfort you. It starts to convict you. It starts to shape you. God becomes personal. You start to taste his goodness. You start to see him, his presence. You start to hear his voice. You start to, to experience the touch and the embrace of God. It becomes a soulful experience. I'm not talking about an emotional experience. I'm not talking about some sort of spiritual experience or a new type of reality where you hear physically God's voice. I'm talking about an experience that becomes soulful where God becomes personal in your life. When I was in college, I studied poetry. I studied music. I was a major in the sciences. I was a double major in sciences. And yet I took the time to study poetry and music. And at some point, what, you know, I did it really for a grade, but at some point what just sounded like words, what just looked like text, what sounded like notes became deep. It became rich. 
for me. And so I fell in love with Beethoven. I fell in love with Walt Whitman. I fell in love with movies and books and short stories. It changed my entire career path. It changed my entire direction in life for that matter, you see. There are some people here saying, listen, I hear you and I want that. I want that experience of God. Because I'm, I'm being crippled by guilt. I'm being crippled by fear. I sense that. I want that. But I'm weak, you see. I'm a mess, you see. And that's good news. Because that's the only prerequisite to actually experience God. The gospel is likened to like a seed. And so it starts out small. It's planted in you. But everything that you need for a new life is in there. And so there's this dynamic power that sits in this seed. And over time, as you feed it and as it grows, it may be mundane. Sometimes it's just watering every day, sunlight every day. But there's this dynamic power that's unleashed. And then, boom, all of a sudden, there's a redwood. Once you receive the gospel as the ultimate truth in your life, It gives you new sight. It gives you new ears, a taste to heal the deepest longings in your life, the broken attempts that you've taken to feel and to experience real living on your own. You start to sense it. The gospel heals our senses. Lastly, the gospel ends our fatigue or it heals our fatigue. This entire passage is about being born again. Next week, we're going to be looking at a text where Jesus encounters a woman. Here it's a man, there's a woman. She's broken, she's promiscuous. She's like the opposite of Nicodemus. She's broken and promiscuous and poor and irreligious. She's got no status, no credential, no pedigree. She's uneducated. She's outside of every circle, every ring. This woman, women in ancient times had no rights. So just that by nature sets her on a different path, a different scale. She's outcast and yet... She's born again. Nicodemus is a success. This one is a failure. And yet Jesus comes to both. Jesus calls to both. Jesus is available to both. It's very important because Nicodemus could have easily said, I am not like that woman. I am not broken. I've arrived. I made it. A lot of us are trying to make it. A lot of us are trying to arrive. But instead, he sits with Jesus and he learns from him. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is this high status, high full and respected individual. He says, you need to start over. You need to be born again. Everything that you've done up until this point in some ways is a waste. I don't care if you're the mayor or a prostitute. You are both the same because both of you need me. What does that mean? Whether you try to save yourself any moment by being moral, by being educated, by, by having wealth, by being good-looking, having a nice house or living in a nice neighborhood, it doesn't matter. We're using all those things in a way to shield ourselves from the need for Jesus. We're all still trying to get away from needing Jesus. So we, we build these protective cushions in our lives. As long as I have these things in my life, I don't need Jesus functionally. Because things are good. And I feel good. And in that sense, we're still fighting God over who controls your life. We're still fighting God over who owns my life. We're trying to be God. But if you're born again, the first reality that you come to is you contributed nothing to this. The second reality you come to is that everything that you have is by the sheer grace of God. Every good thing, even every trial, it helps us to understand our trials without really even understanding why those trials are there. And lastly... We learn that salvation, we come to the reality that salvation is only through God's work, God's power. 
the very nature of being born again is what? Babies, when they're born, they contribute nothing to their birth. That's the reality, right? We have a lot of pregnant mothers in our church. And you know, some of you, this is your second or third. You know that when you're born, you do all the work, mothers. You do all the work. The baby contributes nothing. They don't even have any say in being born. The problem is there's something in our hearts that say, you need to contribute. You need to play a part. You need to have some say. Like Walt women, we say, I need to contribute a verse. This powerful play is going on in my life, and I need to contribute a verse. Because I have skills, and I'm mature, and I know things, and I'm wiser than other people. I can make it on my own. I've made it this far, we say. That's how Adam, by the way, rebelled against God. In the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Eve looked at this tree. God said, don't eat any fruit from this tree. Don't eat the fruit from this tree. And Eve looked at that fruit and said, but it looks good. I mean, it looks good. It looks useful. Why would God withhold this good thing from me? Ah, because he wants to hold me back. He wants to chain me down. I know better. That's comparing ourselves with God. That comparison with God, and deep inside, we know that we lose in that comparison with God. We know that. It's that rebellion against God, who is the center of our worth, our validation, our intimacy. Because we rebelled and lost our relationship with God, it's why we're constantly comparing ourselves with one another. It's why we're constantly comparing ourselves. We still in some way want to be God, and we want to take every opportunity to get a little bit higher, which is why we're always stepping on people. Now, nobody physically ever does that. We do that by our gossip. We do that by just our scowling. We do that because of the way we furrow our brows when somebody does something we don't like. We have strong opinions, and we make them known. You see, we're constantly comparing ourselves with others. And that's, that's the source of our envy. That's the source of our jealousy. That's the source of our complaining. That's the source of our grumbling. That's the source of our fighting, our coveting. But also it's the source of constantly working for approval because we believe we have it together. You see, we believe we are so right. We believe we have it down. Never mind the fact that there are, you never have it down. There's always somebody out there who studied more than you. There's always somebody, I'm a pastor. People come to me all the time to tell me how church should be run, right? And it's easy to look at them and say, you are such an insolent person to think that your opinion can overcome thousands of years of history and thousands of years of scriptural reality that you have not looked at. And, you know, it's easy to do that. It's easy to say that. It's easy to look at them indignantly because what are we doing? We're still fighting. We're still, we're still battling one another, comparing ourselves and saying, well, that's why you're not worthy. That makes you feel a little bit better. Being born again begins with what? Owning the reality that you contributed nothing. See, that humbles you. It's all by sheer grace. And even salvation is the work of God. This helps you see the goodness of God. This helps you to trust God. This helps you to surrender to God. That surrender leads to repentance towards God. It leads to a loving faith and joy in the Father. We say, I've been trying to save myself all my life. I've been trying to fight God all my life. I'm letting go of all the things that I thought gave me life. Things that I'm proud of, like Nicodemus. The things that make me feel attractive to other people. I once had a dinner with somebody, 
As a pastor, you have lots of dinners. I once had a dinner with somebody years ago, uh, a doctor, who literally said to me, it's time for me to get married because now that I'm a doctor, I can marry anyone I want. Now, you're thinking, as soon as you hear that, you're thinking, ew. But you see, I did that too. And you know why? Because even that, ew, that's me saying I'm better than you. That I would never be like that. I would never think like that. Even there, we're we're trying to one-up that other person. You see that? You ever see a baby at birth? A baby is born naked, totally helpless. I mean, they've never seen light in their lives. They've been in darkness for almost 10 months. No baby comes out and says, look, I was somebody back there. You better recognize. Nobody says that. The gospel teaches that what? Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. That's what it means to be born again because it's counter-natural. It's counterintuitive. It's supernatural. It's new. The other thing about babies is that when they're born, they're never happy. They're always crying. <laughs> babies are always crying, right? Why? Because birth is traumatic for a baby. I mean, they're, they're squinting. They've never seen light before. They're just getting used to breathing cold air, the bright lights, those piercing sounds of those whirring machines in the background. Reality hits them, and all of a sudden, there's no more cushion in their lives. Now, I mean, this is kind of pessimistic to say it this way, but there's going to be suffering and sin and death. And Jesus, he doesn't say to Nicodemus, when you are born again, your life will finally be better. It's going to improve. You're going to be even wealthier. He doesn't say that. You're going to get even healthier. And you're an old guy. You're going to get healthier. You're going to have a better life. That's not what he says. The very nature of new life is what? It only comes through the pain and suffering of somebody else. That's what Jesus is getting at. The mother risks her life for you to be born. And so when you're born again, somebody doesn't just risk their lives. They gave their lives. And it's not just to experience a physical suffering and death and sin. Right? They didn't, they didn't suffer uh, and lose their physical, uh, experience physical suffering and lose their physical lives in death. It's something far greater than that because... On the cross, Jesus Christ suffered the ultimate pain, the ultimate suffering, the ultimate death. He was offered a form of anesthetic, and yet he refused because, I mean, this melts you. He wanted to experience the full suffering, the totality of our suffering and sin and death. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he is the king. He's got ultimate status, ultimate approval, ultimate pedigree. He could have looked at Nicodemus and said, you want to one-up people? I am far greater and far exceedingly righteous than you. You will never exceed my righteousness on your own. He could have easily said that. He could have easily, it could have easily heightened this pride, this conversation with Nicodemus. And yet Jesus Christ came to the world with no status, no education, no pedigree. And on the cross, he was stripped naked and he was helpless. And Jesus Christ, he became a baby. 
He suffered. He, he saw the brokenness and experienced the brokenness of the world. And on the cross, they're stripped naked and helpless. As the wrath of God, as he's looking to God, the wrath of God is pouring out on him. People are telling him, save yourself. I mean, if you can save yourself, do it. Did he say, well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna save myself. I can. Yeah. Did he do that? Did it stroke his pride? No. Everyone is telling him to save himself. And yet Jesus cries out, naked and helpless, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there what he means by that, he's saying, now I've really lost the ultimate status, which is my place with the Father. The ultimate pedigree, being called his son, being king. The ultimate wealth, the richness of being in the Father's embrace. I'm forsaken, I'm disowned by my Father. The cross is the only place where Jesus Christ didn't call God his Father. Why? So that you could have God as your Father. Jesus Christ got the wrath of God that we deserved. So that we could get the spirit of God and everything else that he deserved. Look at the cross. Look at Jesus. There is the love that you've been looking for all your life. There is the approval that you've been looking for all your life. There is the validation that you were working so hard at your job and in your school and your studies for. It's greater than any amount of wealth, any pedigree, any network, any family that, 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 that you can earn or get or have on your own. It's what you need. If you don't believe the gospel, you will work to try to gain all those things, to keep all those things together, and life will be a broken mess. You're going to go to become a proud man, much like Nicodemus. But like Nicodemus, to the degree that you trust the gospel, your life can be made new. That's what it means to be born again. If it can change a wealthy, educated, proud man like Nicodemus, it could change you. In John 19, what do you see? When Jesus died, Nicodemus was, the, was one of the people that asked for his body. And he prepared his body. He brought it down. He dressed it. He prepared it for his burial. What that means is Nicodemus is now on this, this, this dignified man. That was a job for women. This dignified man is putting spices on Jesus, cleaning him. The blood is getting on him. He's burying Jesus. Everyone else, Jesus' own friends hid. The rulers just looked on. But there's Nicodemus. He stands up. He serves Jesus, puts himself at risk. Why? Something changed in Nicodemus. It made him humble. There goes his pride. There goes his ego. His senses have awakened. It's the end of his fatigue. And so, because it's the end of his fatigue, he works. He serves. He lowers himself. He gets dirty. And even though he's a Pharisee, that's his undignified work. He serves Jesus. Gets in the dirt. Because he became new. That can be you. Let's pray.